Good morning, Amoke family. Welcome back to our online service. And we continue uh, this week with our Roman series. Let me just do a brief recap of all that we have covered so far in the book of Romans, all right? Now, we remember that Paul wrote this letter primarily to address the tension between Jewish believers and Gentile Christians. Remember, this is the main purpose of his letter. He didn't set out to write a theological treatise uh, about the gospel, even though eventually he did go into great depth into explaining what the gospel is really about. But Paul essentially wanted to write to resolve the differences between the Jewish Christians as well as the Gentile Christians. And he asserted that the power of the gospel is available for everyone, for anyone who believes it's possible to be saved. But first of all, for the Jew and then for the Gentiles. Paul also made it very clear that both Jews and Gentiles are equally sinners deserving of God's wrath. Then Paul explained why uh, Jews are not saved by circumcision or by the law, but that everyone can be freely justified through faith. This is the gist of chapters 1 to 4. From chapters 5 to 7, we see Paul focusing on living in response to our newfound faith, identity, and righteousness in Christ Jesus. We are no longer enslaved to sin. We are completely free from the law of sin and death. And now we are freely called to offer ourselves to God as instruments of righteousness. Romans chapter 8 may be rightly seen as the epitome of what living as grateful recipients of God's grace really looks like. How we are called to live by the power of the Holy Spirit. We are always more than conquerors, fully assured of God's inseparable love, even in the midst of suffering. Chapters 9 to 11, however, seem somewhat out of place. You know, if you remove these three chapters, Romans chapter 8 can flow very smoothly into Romans chapter 12. Romans 8 ends off with nothing can ever separate us from God's amazing love. And then Romans 12 begins by saying, Therefore, in view of God's mercy, offer yourselves freely to God as living sacrifices. And so it's very easy to flow from chapter 8 all the way to chapter 12. Chapter 12 essentially picks up on some of the themes that were mentioned in chapters 5 to 7, but it begins to elaborate in practical action what it really looks like to live out as living sacrifices. Lewis and Maiming have preached over the last two weeks to explain some of these details here. But Paul wrote chapters 9 to 11 in between. And so really the question is why? If you remember, as I mentioned at the start of this sermon, his main purpose behind writing this letter, Paul was addressing the conflict between Jewish believers and Gentile believers. Essentially, if you recall, chapters 2 to 4, Paul was nullifying any Jewish advantage. But here in chapters 9 to 11, Paul erases any shred of possible Gentilic arrogance instead. Paul reminds the Gentile Christians, look, God chooses whoever he wants to have mercy on. The Gentiles, you Gentiles, really are grafted in. Why should the Jews be hardened like Pharaoh's heart? Why should the second-born, like Jacob, be blessed instead of first-born Jew, like Esau? Don't you Gentiles recognize that you are technically second in line, just as Jacob was second in line to Esau? Yet, precisely because Esau represents the Jews, rejected their birthright, their so-called chosen status, so you too, now Gentiles, have this privilege to be saved. 
And so Paul writes very clearly to the Gentiles here, Gentiles, you beware. You have no right to criticize or to lord it over your Jewish fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. And so Paul essentially wrote Romans uh, chapters 9 to 11 to demonstrate that God's election is not just about who's safe. Yes, Gentiles, you are safe by faith, but also to warn them it is possible to be hardened. You see, Israel was chosen, so-called, to be hardened, so that Gentiles will be safe. But then in case we take this too far beyond its logical premise, Paul is very quick to add in, in Romans chapter 11, verses 25 to 26, that God's plan and desire continues to remain for his firstborn Israel to be completely safe. And so if you examine God's salvation plan, you'll see it's actually a very convoluted drama. First of all, God chose the Jews. But knowing that they will be hardened and through their hardness of heart, God opens up salvation for the rest of the world, the Gentiles, so that eventually the Gentiles will lead all Israel to be saved. Wow, it's so convoluted, right? First, the Jews chosen, then the Gentiles are saved. As a result, the Gentiles being saved, all Israel will be saved. Now, this mystery is so profound, so great, that Paul eventually exclaimed in Romans chapter 11, verses 33 to 36, Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable His judgments and His paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of Christ? Or who has been His counsellor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay them? For from Him and through Him and for Him are all things. To Him be the glory forever. Such a dramatic plan of salvation that even Paul couldn't wrap his mind around. That's why it eventually ends off in this great doxology to praise God for this wonderful mercy. And this leads us very nicely to the sermons by our local preacher Lewis and Apostle team member Maiming the last two weeks. Because God has been so gracious and merciful, our right and proper response as Gentile believers and really as all believers is to offer ourselves as living sacrifices to Him. The right and proper response is to move from knowing to being, to do whatever it takes to truly, deeply, madly love. If all of us really can live out Romans chapter 12, by the power of the Holy Spirit, I tell you, we will swiftly bring about revival and spread scriptural holiness across the land. Love indeed is the most powerful evangelistic tool that transforms the world. But Paul is not content to just stop at Romans chapter 12. He continues with today's chapter, chapter 13, with other ways that we are to show right and proper response to God, to each other, and even to the outside world. So before we go into Romans chapter 13, come, let us pray together. Our gracious God, Heavenly Father, we stand amazed at your salvation plan. Lord, we pray, Holy Spirit, we need you. Come and open our hearts and minds to receive your word. Importantly, Lord, help us not just to be hearers of your word, but be doers of it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Romans 13 really can be summarized by three letters. I-O-U. I-O-U. Uh, those of us may be familiar, some of us may be familiar, and I-O-U is abbreviated from the phrase I owe you. Literally, you know, I owe you something, uh, informal document acknowledging debt from one person to another. 
And in today's scripture passage, there are basically three debts. The first is our debt to the governing authorities. Romans chapter 13, verses 1 to 6. You can read it through in your own time. Paul says here, let every person be subject to the governing authorities. We have a debt to pay to the governing authorities. Well, this first of all means that we are not sovereign. You know, recently there was a lady who made the news. She refused to wear the face mask, even though it's circuit breaker period. And what did she say? I am sovereign. Now, remember, my friends, we are not sovereign. There is only one sovereign Lord and God. But we are called to subject ourselves to the governing authorities. Compared to the oppressive Roman Empire, the Roman rule in which Paul lived under, and yet Paul was able to instruct every Christian back then to submit to this oppressive Roman authority, there is really no reason why we here in Singapore should not obey our government to stay at home as much as possible during this circuit breaker period. That is one practical way in which we submit ourselves to the governing authorities. One book I finished reading in this time of the circuit breaker is this uh, book called Bad Religion. This book launches a critique against US Christianity, Christianity in North America, particularly in the United States, how Christianity has essentially failed in North America because religion is too intertwined with the politics. Christians in America have swung between two extremes, either believing that their government was God's chosen instrument and God's way to bring about salvation, or the government is totally corrupt and will bring about final judgment. And so the church there in the US basically swung between these two extremes, either of totally embracing the government as God's salvation to the world, or totally rejecting it. I think it will be wise for us to learn from their mistakes and really to track the middle ground. Remember what Jesus taught. He, taught, he said, my kingdom is not of this world. God's kingdom is not of this world. That means no government, however good, will ever be God's final answer to the world. Conversely, no government, however bad and lousy, can ever stop God's kingdom work. The right and proper response, Paul says, is to subject, however, ourselves to the governing authorities. So work with our government to bring about God's kingdom purposes, but do not idolize them to the point as if they can do no wrong. Yes, I think as responsible citizens, we need to submit ourselves to them, but there's also opportunity for us to give constructive criticism and to help shape policies as responsible citizens. Naturally, of course, I don't think we want to swing to the other extreme where we speak only ill of the government. And so really, we need to hold this tension and avoid the two extremes, either blind, uncritical submission to everything they say, which led basically to World War II as well. The Lutheran Church was fully behind the Nazi movement. Or we swing to the other extreme of being overly critical and cynicistic, uh, cynical rather about everything that they do. So we want to avoid both extremes and learn to work with our government to submit ourselves to them. In Paul's letter, he focuses on a very practical issue. He reminds his readers to pay their taxes. Pay your taxes to the authorities. Now, Apostle Paul was not the first to give an instruction of this kind. Jesus did it first. Matthew chapter 22 records a very fascinating account. Let me read this account to us. 
And then the Pharisees went out and laid plans to trap him in his words. They sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians. Teacher, they said, we know that you are a man of integrity and that you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. You are by others because you pay no attention to who they are. Tell us then, what is your opinion, teacher? Is it right to pay the imperial taxes to Caesar or not? But Jesus, knowing their evil intentions, said, You hypocrites, why are you trying to trap me? Show me the coin used for paying taxes. So they brought him a denarius. And so he asked them, Whose image is this? And whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. And then Jesus said to them, So give back to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. When they heard this, they were all amazed. So they left him and went away. Why were the Pharisees amazed and walked away instead? Whose image is on the Roman coin, the denarius? It was Caesar's image. Whose image is on us? God's image is on us. Remember, we are made in the image of God. Giving back to Caesar what is Caesar's means we pay our taxes. But what is profoundly more significant really is giving back to God what is God's. And that means us. Because we are made in His image, we are to fully surrender our lives to God as living sacrifices. That's why the people were so amazed when they heard Jesus answer, What? Submit ourselves fully to the authorities by paying our taxes? But what is more amazing is that Jesus is asking everyone who has heard that, that story, His answer, Have you submitted yourself fully to God? Now, let me move on to our second IOU. You know, we technically owe God everything. Our salvation, our belongings, our very life. It is God who has given us life. And in a while, we will sing our closing song. Jesus paid it all, all to Him I owe. Death has left a crimson stain, He washed it white as snow. But surprisingly, Paul chooses not to focus on our debt to God instead. Rather, snuck in verses 7 to 8 is a debt we may gloss over if we do not take time to read carefully. Paul writes, Pay to all what is owed to them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. We've already covered that. We pay taxes to the governing authorities so that the country can function. If revenue, then revenue. So we need to pay revenue to the business owners. If respect, then respect. If honour, then honour. But here Paul goes beyond financial terms to the basic respect and honour due every human being. The second debt then that Paul is referring to is to treat everyone the same way we want to be treated ourselves. If you don't want to be sheltered at, don't shout at others. If you don't want to be shamed, don't shame others. If you want to be treated with honour and respect, then treat others in the same way. And so instead of focusing on paying our debt to God, Paul says, pay it forward. Because if we truly recognise that we are saved by grace, then we pay God by treating others well. After all, God also died for them. The second debt then is better defined as a debt to humanity. I think one silver lining of this COVID-19 crisis really is to restore the lack of honour and respect 
It should be rightly accorded to a certain segment in our society. For too long, our world has only, you know, privileged the rich and famous. But this COVID-19 crisis has made us realize how vital and essential a certain group of low-wage workers truly are. From cleaners to grab delivery drivers to migrant workers, so many in this category. It has helped us realize without them, the whole society cannot function. And so if we truly knew how much we are saved only by God's grace, and that everyone is created in God's image, we would treat everyone with the same equal respect and honor, regardless of their age, race, gender, religion, and economic status. The good thing I think about it as I reflect in this past month, Amokyo family, I'm really proud of you. From my interactions with all of you in this past nine to 10 years, I believe almost all of you do treat everyone with equal dignity and respect. And this is one of the things I like about church. While many of us do come from middle and upper middle income backgrounds, we, we really don't have any heirs. And so I want to say to all of you, I'm okay family, keep it up. Let us continue to shine in that way. Let us be different from the world. And let's learn to pastor the city in the godly way that we treat people with dignity, respect and honour. The third and final IOU, however, is one debt that Paul really, really emphasizes on. He writes in verse 8, Let no debt remain outstanding, except the continuing debt to love one another, for whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. The first debt is towards the governing authorities. The second debt is towards fellow uh, humanity. The third and final debt is the love we are to continually shower each other as fellow believers. You see, the reality is that none of us can ever repay God's grace and kindness and mercy. How can we? I mean, He is God, the Creator God, and we are merely creatures. What can we offer to God that is not already His? And so since we can never actually repay God, what we are called to do really is to repay our debt by paying it forward, paying it forward by submission to authorities, by respecting fellow human beings, and then finally, by loving fellow believers truly, madly, deeply. Incidentally, if you do not know, Romans chapter 13 verse 8 is our theme verse for the year. We all know our church theme is to be a home with a heart, but did you know Romans 13 8 is our theme verse? Let's read that verse again and commit it not just to memory, but really to action. Together, let us read. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another, for whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. Unfortunately, we missed our combined Monday Thursday service this year. But every Monday, Thursday, we are not just reminded of the Lord's Supper, but also reminded of the new covenant, that God, the God new commandment that Jesus gave to his disciples on that night. Jesus said in John chapter 13, verse 20, 34, A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this will everyone know that you are my disciples, if you have loved one another. A new command doesn't mean that the two great commandments of loving God and loving uh, your neighbor as yourself 
are obsolete. In fact, Paul does quote, uh, love your neighbor as yourself in Romans 39. Instead, I believe Jesus said it's new because it's additional. So technically, as New Testament believers, there are three great commandments for us. Number one, to love God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. Number two, to love our neighbors and ourselves. And number three, as Jesus taught, to love one another as he has loved us. Let's meditate on these three great commandments once again. He says to us that we are to love God with all our heart, our mind, our soul, and our strength, the best that we can ever do so. But really, it's by our own standard. Because your heart and my heart, our standard are different, right? So for me to love God with all my heart is different from you to love God with all your heart. To love our neighbors as ourselves, again, it is by our own standards. Some of us love ourselves more than others, but it's still measured against our own standard. The third and final command, which is the new command that Jesus gives, however, is different because it is not by our own standards. Jesus taught here, love one another as I have loved you. And so this third command is really to love others by God's standard, which includes suffering and death. The story was told of two men who were hunting out in the northern U.S. Suddenly one yelled and looked uh, and saw, and the other person looked up and saw a grizzly bear charging towards them. The first man decided to, you know, frantically put on his tiny shoes and his friend anxiously asked, Hey, what, what, what are you doing? Don't you know that you cannot outrun a grizzly bear? To which his friend just replied, I don't have to outrun the bear. I just need to outrun you. Now, friends, that's a funny story. But really, that's the opposite of what Jesus did. Jesus laid down his life for his friends. If only we all learn to lay down our lives for each other as brothers and sisters in Christ, we will be such a shining light to the rest of the world. Admittedly, I think we all have a long way to go. I see myself falling very far short of this standard to be willing to lay down my life for my friends. And that is why we all need the Holy Spirit's power in our lives. Only God's Spirit can enable us to love the way Jesus did. Now, let's say you wanted to write like Shakespeare. What would you need to have? You will need to have the intellect of Shakespeare. Or if you wanted to compose music like Beethoven, you will need to have the spirit of Beethoven. Similarly, if we are going to represent Christ, to reproduce Christ on earth, we will need to have the Spirit of Christ. If we are going to represent God as children of God, we are going to have the need the Spirit of the Father to breathe into us so that we can live like God, to represent God our Father perfectly. Which brings us back really to Romans 8. All who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. If we are truly honest, we will recognize that it's not easy to love people. In fact, it's even tough to love ourselves at times, right? And that's why we all need the Holy Spirit to enable us to love as Jesus did. Romans chapter 13 closes with the reason why we ought to pay heed to today's sermon. Let me read it to us. And do this, understand the present time, Paul writes. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. 
the day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. Now, family, if this was true 2,000 years ago when Paul wrote this letter, it is even more true now. So wake up, church, wake up. Jesus, our Lord, is returning. Our prayer ministers and I have sensed the urgency of our time. Time is not on our side. And so beginning tomorrow, we will set out a series of 12 devotions, one for each day for 12 days as we look towards the end of the circuit breaker period, but really to prepare us for Jesus' second coming. So look out for that series of devotions coming up. Let me close by reminding what Romans calls us to do. We need to stop living for ourselves. Instead, we offer ourselves as living sacrifices to God. God has given us the ability to stop sinning, to stop living in sin. The old flesh has been crucified. Now we have a spirit of God living in us. God calls us now to respond to God's mercy by offering ourselves as a daily sacrifice. But remember, we can never repay God's debt. But instead, we repay Him by paying our IOUs forward. Be a responsible citizen to the authorities. Be a righteous man and woman who will treat all others with respect and honour. And let us be that resourceful brother or sister who's willing to lay down our lives for each other as fellow Christians. Incidentally, if you read I-O-U, very quickly, it sounds like I-O, I-O, right? Did I not tell you that today's sermon can be summarized in three letters? We have an I-O-U to the government. We have an I-O-U to fellow humanity. We have an I-O-U to fellow believers. Because I-O, Jesus is coming back soon. And he's coming back to settle accounts. Are we ready for his return? Come, let us pray. God, our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this grace that you have extended to us, even though we have been undeserving. Lord, help us to guard against the pride that came upon the Gentile believers as they judge the Jewish believers. Help us to recognize truly we are recipients of your grace. And Lord, help us to be living sacrifices in very practical ways. Help us to submit ourselves, subject ourselves to the governing authorities to do what is right and needful. Help us to show respect and honour to fellow human beings, regardless of their economic status. And Lord, above all, help us to love each other deeply and sacrificially as Jesus did. And so Lord, we thank you for today's word. Again, we pray, Holy Spirit, help us not just to be hearers of the word, but be doers of it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.